Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, December 30th, 2013. During this week in history in 1943, folk musician and actor John Denver was born in Roswell, New Mexico. Dude, happy birthday. Thank you for taking the time to visit my Kickstarter project and support this baseball fan's dream. This is the process I go through when creating each panorama. I start by going to various locations throughout each stadium. I take a series of wide-angle photos covering the entire landscape of the field using a But I'm glad you know who to blame, though. See, that's half the battle right there, man, knowing who to blame. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, so what'd your father do to you, man? Tell me. Well, he's a big sports guy, and, you know, I just grew up watching sports with him, so it's really what happened. (laughs) I mean, we grew up in New York, so of course I'm a New York Mets fan, a New York Jets fan, a New York Islanders fan. I've just come to the conclusion that none of my teams will just, they'll never win. So I'm just trying to live with that. Back in the day, I used to travel around the country following my Mets, really, um, to right. go to any way stadiums as possible. And I just kind of just wanted to remember it. So I was taking pictures with my old cell phone going with panorama mode. Oh, like yeah, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I started experimenting with software, you know, and trying to figure out how to create my own panoramas. I really was fascinated by how much more of a perspective and how much more you can see in a wide-angle shot than in just a typical normal picture that you can take. You don't think it's too much information, though, right? I mean, like this giant panorama, I mean, it looks beyond belief in a way. Um, no, because it actually, it's more realistic. It's really what the eyes would see if you were there, because at one point you're kind of looking, you know, forward, but you have peripheral vision. So in a way it's kind of, you know, a more realistic view on what's going on in the world. Okay. So you have this software and and all of a sudden you love this now. You love doing these panoramas. It's, it's your thing now. You go to parties and it's your thing. Yeah, I've, I've been the panorama guy. When someone pulls out their cell phone to take a picture, I, I critique them and show them what they can do to do it better. I think I found a niche for you, a niche. Because Kickstarter is always about finding your, your spot, your place, you know. I'm thinking you're the panorama guy. I'm thinking you're doing custom, limited edition ballpark prints from whatever MLB season. You know, I don't even remember what the MLB stands for. But but I'm just saying, (laughs) I see a series of posters, collectible posters coming out of this. I think you could make this happen. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I mean, I'll point the camera a little bit. On my wall, you see two of them right there. All right, describe them a little for me because we're radio and they don't see what I see. Yeah, well, right behind me on my wall, I have two... 12-inch by 36-inch canvas printouts of two of the stadiums that I've been to. Right. And I just love how they look because the canvas, there are gallery-wrapped canvases where the image actually wraps around the edges because it's so wide. You know, there's plenty of real estate to afford losing some that's on the main face of it. Now, which parks are those? Which park? Um, I I need more information. I want more information. On my wall, I have uh, City Field, home of the New York Mets. Okay. And I have uh, Nassau Coliseum, home of the New York Islanders. 
What are your rewards? What are you promising to deliver? Well, that's uh, that's what I'm hoping to get to get out of this Kickstarter project. Is I'm looking to really try to get to as many stadiums as possible. The ultimate goal of getting to all 30 and um, producing, you know, canvases like these that I have and regular glossy prints that look great, also framed. That's really what I'm looking for right now. I'm looking for just the help I need to get around the country to capture the photos so I can so I can come home and create these panoramic images that are very unique and kind of one of a kind in a way. Right, right. But but total there 30, you say? The goal is 30. I've been to 13 of them, 12 so far. I just wanted to really just talk about how much I enjoy doing this, and it's really very unique in, in what I've been able to create. Why is it unique? You keep saying it, though. Because you can't find these anywhere. <laughs> really, my hobby started because I saw one once, and I'm, I was thinking I could do you know, I could do better. Yeah, I knew the better. I knew the better was coming out there. You know, you can't just pull out a camera and take a panorama and, and expect it to be of good enough quality to be able to print it in a very large scale. So that's right. You take hundreds of pictures. And each time I go to a stadium, I, I leave with hundreds of pictures in each place. So I try to move around the stadium and take multiple shots. I take right. dozens in one spot. I mean, there are always obstacles like the, the darn hot dog guy that walks around trying to sell things. If I take a picture once and then he moves, he is now in my picture twice. So it looks like there's twins. Or when I merge two pictures together, the guy's missing his head or his legs or something like that. So it really takes a lot of effort to make sure I cover the stadium as much as I can and even take multiple shots of the same thing. So when I come home, I have everything I need to create those shots. That And out of these hundreds of photos that you take per stadium... You distill it down to what? What did the video say? Roughly 15 to 30 some odd pics to make the final panorama? That's right. On average, it's about 15 to uh, up to 30 pictures that I use to create each, you know, wide angle panorama, which really span quite, quite a range, you know, from about 270 degrees peripherally, you know, from what you can see. So I think the photos are amazing. And I don't think any of them that I've seen on your Kickstarter look totally alike. Some look futuristic. Some I just see the people. And some my eyes are drawn to the the structure of the whole Coliseum type of thing. Well, that's exactly what I'm trying to capture is is how different each stadium is. And really just trying to capture the ballpark atmosphere and bring it home. You know, I mean, because a single picture, as great as they are, in my opinion, doesn't capture the whole realm of the whole feeling of being surrounded by the people and the fans. So for anyone out there, you like MLB stadium panoramas, send me to Los Angeles. Well, I'm not going to get into all of that, but he basically wants to go around the country and take these beautiful panoramic images and you get to see these 30 stadiums in a way that I don't think he would any other way unless you were there live and you still it's all about the photographer's eye he paints the picture so i think seth these pictures if you check them out they're totally cool thank you very much of course and thank you very much for your time as well hi my name is jared alden crooks let me tell you a little bit more about me i love to cook i love daydreaming and i love rockets too but most importantly, How's it going there, dude? Fantastic, how are you? I'm doing pretty good uh, Is it just you, partner? Yes, Mr. Scott Baldwin? Just gonna be me today 
Sky couldn't make it. He's in Dubai right now. Oh, sad. Sad. It's all good, though. But thanks for uh, contacting me. Oh, no problem, man. Who could not contact you? Such a smile, such an exuberant (laughs) personality. A man who walks with lions. A scientist, no doubt, who's into astrophysics. How could I not reach out to a young man such as yourself? It would have been a disservice to me if I didn't even talk to you, man. (laughs) You need to tell me about this book, man, that you and Sir Baldwin who's off on some sort of chivalrous mission in Dubai. Uh, he's incredible. So, uh, again, thank you so much. I'm uh, Jared Alden Crooks. And the book that I wrote, we've been working on it for about a year and a half, and it's right. called The Several Strange Adventures of Max and Dean. Right. It's a children's book. It's um, a picture book as well. But it's a story about a boy who grows up in this you know, small town, Nothing really much to do, and he doesn't really have a lot of money to sort of go traveling during, like, school breaks or anything like that. Right. So while his classmates are off, you know, flying around the world or doing... Wow, he hangs out with that sort, but his pockets are a little thin. I understand. Uh, yeah, his pockets are a little thin on that. So rather than, you know, make himself powerless in that effect, he actually goes on adventures in his mind. So... Uh, it's really incredible story about how he can go on these very fantastical, magical adventures to Atlantis or to the moon or build rockets. You know, he comes back and he feels much more empowered about himself. Right. It's a story that's very close to my heart because I'm a scientist. I'm an engineer. I work at NASA. Yes. I've been able to sort of have this privilege of education. Autobiographical in any sort of way, young Jared? In some sort of way. I mean, there, there's a reason why Max is black. You know, I missed that. All I saw was the hair going in several different directions. And if you ever see a picture of DJ Grandpa, his hair goes in several different directions. <laughs> that was me growing up, you know. <laughs> but when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of children's books right. where the characters looked like me, right. who were also doing things that were extraordinary or scientific right. or, or just building, you know. It, so I wrote this in part for my own childhood, for, you know, my own nieces and nephews, uh, because I want them to know that they can do anything they put their mind to. And right. I come from a fantastical world, you know. You have to. You have to be very creative, but also live in sort of this other world when you're doing astrophysics. So this is where this book comes from. It comes from a place of love and imagination, but also empowerment for kids. I felt something good about you, man. The way you started the video. Of course, you started it with food. I mean, I'm, I'm not a foodie or anything, but I, I was like, okay, he's starting it with, with food. I can see the ploy. And then he goes yeah. to all the different things that make up your life. It felt positive. It felt refreshing. I don't know. It feels like I say this every program. I'm a Trekkie. I'm a sci-fi type of guy. Good, good. Yeah, so when you shot off a rocket in the background, I'm like, I love this guy. I'm a man of very different talents. You know, me and my wife started a fruit nut bar company that also gives back uh, to children. And in fact, this book project will also be uh, working with nonprofits so that for every book that's purchased, we'll be able to donate a book. It's called First Book. So donate a book to a child who's never really had a book before or so it's all about empowerment. I was very fortunate as a child. I always had a library, a lot of books. 
Yes. And so I made it a mission when I grew up, because I have children, um, I made it a mission that they would have a library. So, yes. you know, they have numerous books. I mean, their mother-in-law says that they're the only children that she knows who would have a hernia at three or two years old from carrying <laughs> around stacks and stacks of books. So it's very funny. And they're very opinionated about their books. I guess when you have so many books, you grew up being a snob in a way. I remember growing up, my parents used to fill me and my brother's room up. They were called the Golden Books. So, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, very popular. You know, and we used to have so many of those, as well as Dr. Seuss. And mm-hmm. and I I sort of stuck with that all the way growing up, because I love children's books, because of the way that it can translate a very complicated moral issue or ethical issue, right. or even an issue about personality or growing up, and break it down into a way where kids can understand it. You don't want to dumb it down because, you know, you don't think kids are stupid. In fact, it's the opposite. Kids pick up a lot more than adults do. No, I'm not thinking it's stupid. But I will admit to this, DJ Grandpa has never grown out of children's books. I dig it. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't either. Trust me. And I... I know this is wrong, but I don't stick to the plot. You know, I I grab a children's book or they bring me a ton of them and I'm like, I don't want to read. I don't want to read. And they're like, read, read. And then I feel guilty because I know I'm their parents. So then I pick up a book, but then I'm reading. And then all of a sudden, you know, he dashes over the mountaintop. And (laughs) how could you believe just when all things were wrong? And then an older one will say, that is not the plot of that book. <laughs> the book does not go. But then, but then they're leaning over. What's next? What's, What's next? next? Yeah, and they're acting like they're not listening, but they're like, What's next? What's next? Exactly. Because children's books have an incredible way of lending your own imagination. So that's why we went for our book. You right. know, uh, Scott Baldwin is the illustrator. Great I'm the writer. illustrations, dude. Dude is incredible with his with his graphics, man. He's really fantastic. We've been partners for about a year and a half now. Right. This is our first book that we've worked on. We, we're working on a couple more. He has this incredible talent to sort of take what's in my mind and then transplant what it to his hand, you know, so right. you can create these fantastical landscapes that are completely immersive. And like you were saying, you can make up stories on your own. So you can read our story and it has a, you know, the the story is great. It really is fantastic and it mm-hmm. can capture anybody. But you can go and look at the pictures and, and make up your own story as you go too. You being a NASA engineer, rocket scientist, uh, balloonist, whatever. <laughs> what's important to you, man? I mean, what do you value? What I find important are a lot of different things, but it all boils down to a couple of principles for me. One, I feel that in this world, we are not truly living unless uh, we're giving back in some way. I love to tutor uh, for free uh, any child who who needs help on the SATs or the PSATs or ACTs who can't even afford like, you know, one of those tutors that cost hundreds and hundreds. I love to give back in that way. Give back to society. My wife and I created a company called Nuri Bar. Right. It's an all-natural fruit nut bar. And for every bar that's purchased, we work with NGOs to feed a child in need. So giving back to communities and empowering communities, that's what's really important to me. But also, you know, I'm a science guy. So space exploration is important to me. And building this new frontier, that involves a lot of imagination and creativity And that's going to require a lot of work, not just from our generation or your generation, 
but the generations that are growing up right now, the younger generations. And so anything that I can do to inspire them to pursue a path where they are um, engaging in some scientific endeavor or STEM field uh, to push the boundaries of humankind. Right. That's what's really important to me, both empowering and being inspiring, because I've had great mentors in life. I've had great people whom I have looked up to. And, you know, it's just been a wonderful journey to sort of see these pages of the several strange adventures of Max and Dean being completed and so much love being shown and any support that we can get, we'll take it. (laughs) And for anyone out there, go check out Kickstarter, The Adventures. Oh, let me get this right. Let me get this right. The Several Strange Adventures of Max and Dean. Oh, okay. That was my line, but he stole it. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. It takes a village. (laughs) Jared, thanks a great deal. Thank you, DJ Grandpa. You know, I I appreciate that. I see that you guys are all about inclusion, or at least you say you are. So hopefully I can ask the right questions to ferret this out. Welcome to the crib. Thank you. Steampunk World, a multicultural steampunk fiction anthology. What does all that mean? Well, steampunk is kind of like Victorian science fiction. I got that um, part, so but the whole fine. the whole steampunk fiction multicultural anthology. What are you trying to prove here? <laughs> well, with the multicultural aspects, we're trying to broaden steampunk's horizons a little bit and take it outside of the traditional Victorian aesthetic, which is, you know, the UK and the United States. That's what most people think of, but actually the Victorian era happened all over the world, believe it or not. So we're trying to bring that into the fiction a little bit more and explore steampunk through the lens of other cultures. And you can actually do that, for real. You can actually do that, and it's like historical or something. The beauty of steampunk is that it's a little alternate history. So you take some historical fact, and you mix in some science fiction, and you you have fun with it. There's a wonderful Tumblr called Medieval People of Color that basically goes through the, no, really, your historically accurate all-white Europe is not historically accurate. Oh, and by the way, you have dragons. There's a lot of research there and a lot of other things that basically say, you know, our idea of historical accuracy is not actually historically accurate. It's what we've gotten used to in a very white American culture, you know, looking at all this stuff and we're missing out on everything else. So that's part of what we're trying to bring forward with this. Do you have enough people, I guess, quote unquote, of color who are actually helping to put this together so that you don't get people taking shots at you from both sides? You you get the people of color saying, well, it's mainly Caucasian people running the steampunk anthology for multicultural. And on the other side, you have all the Caucasian people saying, well, why are you doing this whole thing? You should be adding to our steampunk tradition. Well, we haven't had much backlash from the white community. Um, the Overall, especially among steampunks, we tend to be 
really interested in new viewpoints and new perspectives. So we would actually love to see more people of color at our conventions. And I've tried really hard to make sure to include as many people of color as possible in a number of ways. The other thing we're doing is that we are paying the authors a pretty big chunk of money. So it's not just a, you know, a token payment. It's not just a token inclusion where, oh, you know, it's a multicultural anthology and we have two authors who are people of color and we're paying them, you know, a pittance. We're paying people a good amount and we have made a special effort to be sure that we're being extremely inclusive because that's what this is all about. We want to make sure that we aren't just paying lip service to right. the, you know, principle of inclusion. And we have Diana Foe writing the introduction. Right. She runs the multicultural steampunk blog called Beyond Victoriana. And she's been really fantastic. She's been promoting it like crazy. And um, she's just been great to work with. And her fiance actually put together the video on the Kickstarter. So she's been enormously helpful. I got a very interesting comment on Twitter from somebody who said, you know, I'm surprised that we've not seen this already. You you would think this would be something that big publishers would jump all over. And one of my hopes is rather than waiting for them or trying to convince them that this is a way that we can achieve all the goals that Sarah's already talked about here, but we can also say, yeah, there really is an audience for this sort of thing. We can have all sorts of protagonists. We can have all sorts of viewpoints and it can be commercially viable. So why aren't you guys doing it too? What are your hopes for this anthology? You know, maybe this is silly, but I I hope that there are people out there who've been alienated by steampunk who read these stories and think, you know, steampunk is for everyone. It doesn't matter what culture I'm from or whether I have an alternate sexuality or an alternate gender expression. I can be a member of this community. And so hopefully in the long run, it'll make us more welcoming of the kinds of people that I would love to see in our community. You guys are working together, guys mm-hmm. and ladies. Well, do you feel, um, Sarah, do you feel any different, you know, because you're working with Steve just because he's a guy and, and you're a woman? I know that's not a multicultural perspective, but it still is a perspective where women still want to see heroines as lead characters and superheroes and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So did you feel maybe different as far as maybe working with him in apprehension or something like that? This is my dream project, and I proposed the anthology to him and not to another publisher, you know, intentionally, because he's very honest. When I put out my, you know, invitation for submissions, I said I want characters that are LGBTQ, that have alternate gender expression, that are people of color that, you know, every color, every spectrum, get me every possible type of character. I want them all. And there might be publishers out there that would not be comfortable with me saying, I want stories about lesbians. Give me stories about gay protagonists. But I knew that Steve would have no problem with any of that, that I could take this in any direction and he would always give me the green light. Well, Steve, yes, your turn then. You seem to always go on this alternate route. So do you, as far as being a publisher, let's say all the publishers are in a room together. They're having their monthly powwow in Ohio. Okay. 
do you seem to get any uh, flack or do they tease you or, you know, you're, you're a multicultural lover or something like that? I mean, do, do you get any sort of vibe? Do you get any sort of pushback? Do you get anything that's sort of different as far as you, as I guess a Caucasian guy, white guy, doing all these multicultural projects? I have not gotten so much flack for doing projects. It's starting to become something almost expected. The speculative fiction world over the last two years has gone through a bit of an upheaval as we've come to grips with some of the things in our past that were not as multicultural, that were not as accepting of differences, whether they be differences of skin or religion or orientation. Over the last couple of years, as that's played out, I've been rather loud, and um, I think that's annoyed some people here and there. But the actual projects I've worked on, one of the things that's helped with that is, and one of the reasons I really wanted Sarah to work on this is because I knew she had such a passion for it that it was going to be something where regardless of what you thought about an issue, the stories were going to be good. She rejected two-thirds of the stories that she asked for because her standards were so high. That, to me, says that it wasn't just a stick a gear on it or stick a label on it or anything else where it's just selling out for, oh, we're now, you know, whatever the trendy thing is. It's a, yes, we're doing this thing. It's important. And on top of that, there's going to be some really good stories. And that's something that I really look for. And that gives me a lot of leeway, too. I ask myself a lot of these questions of, you know, is it okay for a white person to put together a multicultural anthology? Of course it is. And I'm hoping that the answer is if you do a respectful job and you're not just appropriating a bunch of people's culture for your own profit, yes. It is okay. I hope that I will do a good enough job to be worthy of being permitted to play in the sandbox a little bit. If you don't, we'll let you know. So, <laughs> so of course, it's okay for you to play in the sandbox. It's okay for people to appropriate each other's culture as long as they do it respectfully. Nothing wrong with that. I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. But anyway, for anyone out there on Kickstarter, I want you to check out the steampunk world. It's a multicultural steampunk fiction adventure. That's what I think of it. If you can't find steampunk world on Kickstarter.com, always go to DJGrandpa.com where we will have links for Sarah and Steve and their outlandish things that they're up to from time to time because it seems like they like breaking the rules for some sort of reason. And we'll report on that also. Dudes, it was very nice to talk to you guys. And hopefully I didn't treat you too rude. Oh, no. Thank you for having us. The Dobro has a rich cultural connection to American roots music. Invented by Slovakian immigrants, the Dopiera brothers... The resonator guitar immediately captivated the nation with its diverse tonal spectrum and captivating voice-like quality. How's it going, Mark? Great, how are you? So you've been touring a little bit. Yeah, this year I will have toured 
200 plus shows with Lindsay Moon, the Flat Bellies, and then I did like a handful of other gigs with other bands. Yo, that's cool, man. It's almost like you're a real country musician, and you're putting in 200 dates a year. Then, yeah, you're fulfilling your contract. I love it. You know, it's it's led to a lot of opportunities. Right, and I see your album on Kickstarter. Well, your fundraiser on Kickstarter for your album, No Part of Nothing, a Dobro bluegrass album. Southern Michigan, they came packing up them so big. They couldn't come and really from those just moving. Oh, they moved in that old four rhymes, six boots, it goes the same. Mother said, Susan, Tim Boy said, Tell me about this Kickstarter. How's it going? How's the community treating you? I see this is not your first time on Kickstarter, so you're a veteran. Well, last time I recorded an EP, One Side Dodro, One Side. Uh, straight steel, eight string, double neck. Oh, cool. Yeah, all original. And then this time around, I'm losing money to uh, release the full-length Bluegrass Dobro album. Not exclusive to just instrumentals, but it features my contemporary approach toward the Dobro. And it also features my original compositions. And then I sing some as well. Why do you say contemporary approach towards the Dobro? The Dobro, it's it's only been around since the early 1900s. You know, after Jerry Douglas and Mike Aldridge kind of, you know, kind of furthered the Scruggs style technique that Josh Graves brought into bluegrass, which was, you know, revolutionary. Jerry and Mike started kind of taking it to the next level. And then now you got, you know, players like Andy Hall and Mike Witcher, Todd Livingston, Rob right. Ikes, of course, who all kind of have their own idiosyncratic tone, but they all kind of share yeah. the F-Sumo. So it's like this collective understanding of the instrument, you know, and when you get right. to a level that you can start breaking it down on your own. I've been just practicing that a bunch, and that's kind of how I'm trying to develop my my voice on the instrument. I listen to a lot of your music that you sent me from the 7-inch, I believe. The first one kind of sounded like jazz to me, not exactly country. Well, one side was kind of straight steel, right? and then the other side was more acoustic. And the straight steel side, with the digital download, had two extra bonus tracks, one of which is Limehouse Blues, the Django tune, and then another one, Blues Walk, gotcha. which are definitely more like jazz standards. And I didn't know that... Um Latin Scruggs were so big as far as the history of the Dobro. You know, when Uncle Josh, when he brought that like, Scruggs-style approach, three-finger banjo roll, and incorporated it to the Dobro, right. before that, all the Dobro players were using two fingers, or two picks, one on their index finger and one on their thumb. There wasn't even the third finger there. And so not only did he like kind of incorporate this banjo technique to the dobro which nobody had really done before you know he's got his flair because he's you know really blues influenced which is apropos for you know like bill monroe that's that's one of his biggest influences too the blues it's half a you know bluegrass right but he also like played his traditional kind of country sounding dobro licks as well and so it just gave this like full spectrum of different rhythms and different tones and they just really complemented the banjo and yeah nobody else was doing that you know and 
Bill Monroe is a very spiteful uh, individual. You know, he's known to hold grudges people for years over something that's just, you know, childish. You know, right. and so you know that's kind of like the idea. No part of nothing. Uh, I forget when the original statement was made, but he was talking about like it was in reference to music that was like bluegrass, but not straight traditional bluegrass, kind of like the new grass waves. And, uh, and he said, well, that ain't no part of nothing. <laughs> and you know, he, he never left the dobro in, in his band. He never accepted it, you know, until like very later in his career, which he, you know, quoted Josh Graves. He's like, I, I ain't gonna play with no dobro player unless it's Josh Graves. He can play bluegrass music. I think it's hard to be sad listening to the dobro. Totally. And for anyone else out there, or for anyone out there, check out this incredible bluegrass Dobro album, No Part of Nothing. <laughs> and if you can't find Mark or No Part of Nothing, a bluegrass Dobro album on Kickstarter, while they're still funding, and they are funding for a few more days, almost a week, you can go to djgrandpa.com and we'll post links to Mark and his forthcoming album. Dude, keep rocking, man. Thanks for having me, man. You know we will, too. Shai always said that his dream was to bring the joy of flight to everyone. A few years ago, he made a breakthrough in the field of cool stuff that flies. He invented the Power Up, the first electric paper airplane. But then a friend of Shai's told him, nice gadget, really, but you can't make a remote controlled paper airplane. Shai took a moment to think and said, challenge accepted. Two years of research and 57 prototypes later, he made it happen. Tell me your story, man. What makes you a popular science toy maker 2013? I mean... Let's start with that. That's as good a story as any. It's actually, in a way, a matter of timing. Right. Uh, it was developed around 2006, 2007 idea. I had a, actually a working prototype. This was before the, really the age of uh, smartphone toys. I started not with the remote control product. I actually started with, uh, it's called the free flight product. Mm-hmm. And I called it power up because the idea was, you know, you, know, you could power up something. You know, I started very small, self-funding, you know, went to China and produced 3,000 units of the, what, what I call the power-up electric paper airplane. It also had a small buzz back then. You know, a lot of uh, early adopters uh, loved the idea. It won also an award in Australia, Best Hobby of the Year, 2012. But I still had this remote control thing in my drawer, and in 2012, early 2013, and there was a kind of a shift in the toy industry, and you saw all these new app control devices emerging, and I was able to integrate it at a new technology that's now also becoming more and more popular, the new Bluetooth uh, smart technology, which is making a huge change in, uh, in wireless devices. I know. Yeah, I was lucky to meet this German startup that had a working prototype, and we just took it quickly. And, you know, as an Israeli... I was bold enough to just take it and do it really quickly and to show it. And we showed it actually, like in less than one month of tinkering and making it work, we showed it at the New York Toy Fair. And right away, it caught a lot of attention. 
The second thing is people love innovation, love inventions, love to be surprised. And this is one of those things that people find it hard to believe that you can actually make you know, a piece of paper fly with your phone. Yeah, I, I kind of looked at your, uh, your video as a lie, you know, when I pushed play. That's what I was waiting for. I knew that. So that's why we also uh, called it, you know, make the magical, magical-er. Because, you know, when you're making magic, you're in a way, you're like cheating, right? Right. And there's another thing also that, you know, we're in the age of drones. You know, you had this Jeff Bezos thing with uh, Amazon now with the drones. And you have all these quadcopters. Every little kid is making a new 3D printed quadcopter. And you have all this technology and, you know, STEM education, robotics, everything. This is a natural thing. You know, people, on the one hand, they're surprised. But on the other hand, they say, well, you know, why not connect technology to a piece of paper and control it? Now they're asking me to put a camera on it. You know, they're not surprised anymore. They want a camera. Yours seems easier than so many others. Only because of the paper edition. It feels like it gives you a personal connection to it. Maybe that the others don't. Because you can make the paper airplane yourself, right? We created a brand around this idea of connecting origami classics to technology. And, uh, you know, origami is a kind of uh, ancient craft. And it's an interesting craft because... It is actually really based on the high mathematics, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's still, you know, when you think of origami, so it's, uh, you know, the cranes, the stars. Of course, we also have the classic airplanes and the boats and many others. And it's something that you make. It's something that you can customize. It's something that you can print on because paper is a digital medium in a way because everyone has a printer at home. Everyone can download stuff and print. And everyone can uh, and has access to this material. So... It's a neat way of combining uh, a technology with such a simple form of uh, art and craft. When I saw it, I thought it couldn't work because I thought there would be weight restrictions. But you seem to, I guess, you solve that. And so you put this linear device on it and it flies. The device is rechargeable, and it's Bluetooth-driven, and it's app-driven, and the plane flies, looks like 30 feet in the air or something like that, and it's a paper airplane. Since the airplane uh, has, you know, we are adding weight, we're, I, almost, we're doubling the weight on one hand, and we're adding a lot of thrust, it goes really fast. It, like, zips through the sky, and you can't fly it, like, in your living room. Right. You need to go to a pretty big uh, field. And it has a zippy sound to it. I saw the other video. You, you saw that little video, yeah. I wish you had that on the other one, you know, that little zzz. I was like, you know, <laughs> it was just, because at first I didn't know what it was. I was like, hold up, he hit something. And then when you came back the third time with the plane, I heard the, zzz, the zip sound. And I was like, dude, that just adds even more weight to the project. Super cool. And it's really easy to fly. Of course, there are a few basic things you need to do. You need to make a pretty uh, nice airplane. You can't just take a wrinkly airplane, a piece of paper, and uh, needs to be nicely perfected. So we're helping, you know, we're giving with a kit very clear instructions how to make. The airplane is very easy. It's like you can construct it in 20, 30 seconds. Uh, it's a classic airplane. It's, it's like the, probably the second most famous airplane. Everybody knows how to make that one. And it's amazing because it adheres to all the aerodynamic principles Right. It's actually highly sophisticated if you think of it. Have people labeled you as one of those genius types? Like you're always inventing stuff and 
I'm not a genius at all. <laughs> okay, just checking, man. I'm one of those guys that uh, tinker, you know. Right. Uh, and I and I just do a lot, a lot of um, uh, iterations of models, and I like to consult with a lot of smart people. That I can tell you. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. Nothing wrong. With that. <laughs> I like to hear opinions of people. I have a lot of mentors that are helping me. Right. You know, uh, designing things uh, is always helpful to get a good good team behind you. For anyone out there, go to kickstarter.com, man. Shy has the coolest project I've seen. And, and to tell you the truth, I don't think I've said that before on Kickstarter. So so go check out Power Up. That's one word, P-O-W-E-R-U-P 3.0. And it's the coolest flying machine I've... Well, there was that flying car, but this is the coolest flying airplane I've ever seen, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We think the accessories we put around our gadgets matter just as much as what's inside. However, there are so many flimsy cases out there, and that worries us. A good case should not just be well-built and durable. It should be more than that. It should be sleek, sexy, and you should absolutely love to show it off. These are the things we care about, and that's why we started Yoda, your only dependable accessory. Hi, Kickstarter. I'm Ali. I'm Sven. And And we're the the founders of Yoda. Now, Estonia. What's the hot spot it's next to? Or are you just telling me Estonia is a hot spot in itself? Hot spot in itself. You know, you could be pro-Estonia like Texans. I don't know what to talk about myself, you know. People have to ask the right questions. I'll, I'll tell them the right answers. I have to ask you the hard questions, and You forced me to do it. You're on Kickstarter. I keep seeing leather bags on Kickstarter, cases on Kickstarter, accessories on Kickstarter, reinventing the wallet on Kickstarter, the keychain. What makes you guys special? Everything is, is made by hand. You know, we have people suing over here. We're not outsourcing any, anything to China, to other bigger factories or manufacturers. Everything is hand sewn. Right. I think the combination of the materials is amazing, you know. It's really high-quality felt that we're getting from Finland, which is uh, north from Estonia. Right. Also, our carbon fiber leather is very cool. I mean, I've actually never seen this carbon fiber leather anywhere else. We were really lucky to find it. It wasn't me or Sven who found it. It were our designers who found this for us. And we saw it and we're like, wow, we really want to use this in our product. One thing I wanted to add about this carbon leather is this carbon leather itself is so durable so our manufacturers, right, they use a scalpel to cut the leather and the felt. And they can only like make around 10 iPhone cases and they have to change the blade because the carbon leather is so durable and it's so hard to cut through that it just destroys the blade after 10 iPhone cases. And I see that you're advertising your cases that they, uh, they protect you from the radiation that your yeah. computers yeah. emit. Now, how do you guys do that? We have this uh, carbon fiber tile. Right. This reduces the radiation levels. So depending on that, it uh, reduces the radiation reflection uh, from 30 to 50%. And this is a quality that carbon fiber itself already 
has. Right. No, this is how you start things. You solve a problem for yourself. And, you know, we had this problem that our laptops emit radiation. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable to use my laptop. I'm very sensitive. I mean, I, I start feeling ticklish, you know, down there when I use my <laughs> laptop on my lap because, you know, yeah. something's wrong with it. I once had a colleague at work and he said, uh, he said about the computers and the laptops, he said, you know, dude, I really don't need any radiation down there. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> we all want to have healthy children, you know. It's all about the offspring. I'll handle not working on my on my laptop <laughs> and holding it on my lap as long as I know I'll have healthy children, you know. No, if, if that's you. the risk, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to put my family in harm's way. You know, I never intended to get into this type of conversation, but I do understand. <laughs> <laughs> very important, right? Very, yes, it is. I do understand. Now, we've talked about the laptop cases primarily, but you have a whole range of accessories that, that mm-hmm. could go with the whole business persona or work persona. Mm-hmm. Um, so do I see a money case there or some sort of carbon fiber wallet? There's a card holder we have. Uh, it's a carbon fiber slash uh, wool felt card holder. Very simple. Very simple. We just wanted to do this for uh, the backers who don't want to get uh you know something something more expensive they, yet they still want to back the project and and eventually get something in return as well then we also have this iphone case here you can also see the photo of that everything mm-hmm. is made out of carbon fiber leather and felt we have ipad cases we also have a leather belt which is made out of carbon fiber leather what else do we have oh an rfid blocking wallet which is also going to be made out of felt and carbon fiber. I believe it's going to be super sleek and sexy. I can't really wait to get my hands on that as well. Now, if you're talking about an RFID protective wallet, yeah, right? Yeah. Why don't you just tell me a little bit what that's about, the whole RF technology? It's very simple. We just want to protect our credit cards from any thieves who could steal your magnet code. And, you know, I'm not even sure how you call it in English, unfortunately. Um, no, I the get the point. The magnetic strip on your card, it contains all this information yep. that are the basically security codes and access your credit, steal money, that type of thing. We were thinking, you know, there are so many beautiful wallets out there. Right. And some of them have this RFID blocking technology, but unfortunately, none of those that have the RFID blocking technology fits me and Sven. So we were thinking, let's do something else, something that we like. And the technology itself is uh, is pretty simple. We're going to put a very, very thin strip of aluminum between the leather and the suede and, and the felt. But the technology, as I said, is, behind it is very simple. For anyone out there, go to kickstarter.com, Yoda. Your only dependable accessory. Y-O-D-A. And if you can't find it there, if you get confused for any reason... Go to djgrandpa.com where we'll have links with Sven. Sven. Sven, yeah, and and Alan. And uh, sorry that Sven couldn't be on the call. Missed him. But tell him that DJ Grandpa's pulling for him. (laughs) Thank you, DJ Grandpa. It was nice talking to you. This is a story about something that is happening in every community around the country. Across America, the media is held in fewer and fewer hands. 
This is a story of doing something about that. Radio is about place, and our place is different. Our radio should be different too. We are now. Who's the protagonist in the video again? Her name is Nina. She's a cool kid, and she is Portland. That's right. And so she would be the、uh, leading, the leading lady, you know, for a DJ Grandpa Kickstarter video award for X-Ray FM. If she wanted to give an award for best starring actress, it'd be Nina. That'd be or, Nina. or if you wanted best director, it'd be Jay Weinbrenner because he's the man with the magic. Who would get the voiceover award? The voiceover award. It sounds like Sam Elliott, but it's not. It's the、right. guy named Keith. He's a molecular biologist that our director Jay Weinbrenner knew. Okay. He's a pretty chill guy too. X-ray FM will feature political insight from strong voices. Some of the leading live storytellers in local podcasts, and expertly curated music from top local DJs. Portland. We love the good things in life here. We love the outdoors. We love、uh, cool art, body art included, tattoos, piercings. We love. Wow. We love our alternative transit. We love our beer. We love our books. We love our rainy days, even if you'll hear us complain about them now and again. Right. We love alternative culture. My wife, she's French, and she、uh, she remarked to me that Portland is like the chillest, most alternative place she's ever been. You can be yourself, whatever that means, and it's totally cool here in Portland. We like to think that we're a city that, as much as we can, accepts all voices and、uh, accepts all ways of life. Even more than San Fran or Seattle. Oh well, I wouldn't want to front on them, but you know, we do pretty well. <laughs> okay, you hold your own. Okay, I got you. You hold your own. Well, well, that sounds totally cool, man. That sounds like I should at least I could at least come and visit. I might not bring any people from Fox Five with me or anything, but it sounds like I could at least come to visit. <laughs> yeah,、uh, social conservatives have always had a rough time here in Portland. <laughs> not really the town for them. Okay, all right, I got you. I try and you know keep all points of view open as much as possible, but you know you gotta also know your audience. So, like I said, yeah, that'd probably be a bad move. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Okay, now I haven't said what X-ray FM your Kickstarter is actually about. I mean, maybe people can guess it, but maybe you should tell us what it's about. So, in a few words, the X-ray FM Kickstarter is about getting the money necessary to launch a radio station. That means equipment from antennas to mixing boards to stuff for the DJ booth. That means everything that we're going to need to take a radio station that we already have an FCC license for and put it on the FM dial. So, we're trying to make a radio station that's as distinctive as Portland. We've got a lot of radio in this community. 23 FM radio stations, to be exact, but the majority of those are actually owned by three companies, and that's Clear Channel, which everyone knows, Entercom, and Alpha Broadcasting. And so,、right. three media conglomerates own most of the radio stations in the city. That's so known for its independent artistic spirit, and that just didn't seem right to us. So we wanted to. Be the change we wanted to see in the world. So here we are. We're we're putting up a Kickstarter. We're seeing if anyone else believes in us. And apparently, Portland's been waiting for something like this because, man, the outpouring of response has been crazy. 
And what you're complaining about, you know, what you're petitioning for, your whole pirate radio thing, I've had this conversation probably 10 times this year or more. People saying about their locale, you know, there's no XYZ radio station anymore. Clear Channel came in, bought them out. You know, now it's just a repeat or such and such came in and bought them out. You know, I mean, political soapbox. I've heard people say, you know, that's the worst law that President Clinton ever passed. You know, the deregulation of FCC, whereas you could own so many more properties, newspaper, radio, TV in the same market. Lease so many more properties in the case of radio because it does belong to the public. And we hope to help remind people of that. I guess people don't really think about that anymore. It is a public license. And one of the things that's going to make us so distinctive is that in a format-driven medium like terrestrial radio, we plan to marry the two sides of Portland's brain. We're going to be progressive talk during the daytime and rolling into DJed, intricately curated sets of music in the evening. I like the way you, you guys keep saying curated sets of music. <laughs> That's right. It's worth curated. That's what we have. We have a bunch of people with these giant vinyl libraries. <laughs> like they've got these crates and crates of vinyls all over their walls. And we think that putting those people behind the mixing board is what we want to do because right. they love their music. They're just getting on there spinning, not because an ad exec told them to play such and such song right before an ad, but because they love it. And it's that kind of passion that's going to bring in listeners who also want to hear that same kind of beautiful music that they're putting out. Uh Oh, I I just heard something, though. Do you mean that I'm not going to hear a story come from your station about such and such? Tim sent down a memo that you're not going to play any artist that doesn't have a half a million dollar promotional budget behind it because I've heard that in the D.C. market and other markets. And, you know, I've heard that sort of corporate top-down, not letting the the little guy in unless it's, you know, mandated by court. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, I would be surprised if, I'd be surprised if even half our, our, uh, the stuff we're going to play has a half million dollar promotional budget. Basically, we're just taking the best music curators that we can find in this city, which has so many talented DJs, and we're letting them put what they think is best on and whether or not these people have a great ad budget is really not the question. It's all about whether they make good music and whether the people that want to spin their music are passionate about it. It's weird because you talk about vinyl and, and you talk about terrestrial radio. And yeah, it just seems like we tried to kill all that stuff 10 years ago. So, But on Kickstarter, <laughs> well, it's you... all about reviving it, you know? And on Kickstarter, it's about letting the people decide what they want to hear. I got you, man. I, I love your story, man, and, and and I hope you guys fly high, man. And and I'm really looking forward to hearing you guys maybe streaming somehow or maybe even a trip to Portland one day, drop by or something like that because it just sounds totally cool, and I hope you guys grow and flourish. And good luck on Kickstarter, man. Hey, thank you, man. And you know what? My house is your house. Come on by anytime. I appreciate it, man. And for anyone out there, Here's your chance to come, right. come crash at our place. Crash at his place. Throw your fist in the air against corporate radio. X-Ray FM on Kickstarter. And if you can't find it there, go to DJGrandpa.com where he always has his fist throwing his hands up in the air trying to jump up and down and scream something loud. Tim, thanks for coming on the show, man. 
Thanks for putting it on. A while back, I had the pleasure of meeting Swami, Kickstarter project creator and owner of Cozy Layers. He's an avid mountain climber. One of the uh, things needed for uh, climbing mountains is dealing with the cold. Right. The system helped me deal with the cold. Right. So it was a big uh, advantage for me to climbing it. Okay. The other, of course, is yourself. You have to pace yourself. Is the experience. Right. Uh, and they go hand in hand. You, you have to have both a system that will keep you warm and uh, uh, reduce the weight that you have to carry. Right now, he has a new project on Kickstarter, created with his partner, Justin. Check it out. Hi, I'm Justin Mooney. So uh, Swami and I have been working on the Swami scarf for, and of course it has an obvious name because of Swami. Uh, we've been working on this for a few months now and we've become friends as we've, we've worked on this. It's a multifunction scarf. It's much more than just keeping you warm. It can be a carry-all. It can be a neck pillow for long flights to put your head on. It can stuff into itself to become a regular pillow. It can almost be a mini backpack when the two ends are connected together. If you'd like to learn more about Swami's scarf, the Swiss knife of scarves, go to kickstarter.com and type in Swami, S-W-A-M-Y. Thanks for tuning in to the last episode of Season 1. We're taking a break for a few weeks while we prepare for Season 2. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's Crip. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samal, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is A.F. Rufus. 